this week, will Rossi make it to 200 podiums, how to get a little bit more comfortable with your bike, and one silly trick iron butt riders don't want you to know. This is Crossed Up Podcast. Welcome to another Crossed Up Podcast. Jeez. (laughs) All right, Brian. (laughs) I'm Brian. And I'm Derek. And this is the Crossed Up Podcast. Welcome back to another week. Yeah. Uh, another week. We're still doing it. So. Don't say it like that. <laughs> why do you have to? You did this last week too. You brought it there. <laughs> We're still doing the podcast. There we with go. full range of motion. Right. And. <laughs> and. Um, we're. Uh, yeah. We're happy to bring the podcast. Um, but we should probably get like right into it because we had a bunch of topics we wanted to talk about today. So first things first, we're going to skip last week's race and we're going to talk about this week's race, which wasn't super eventful. Yeah. Um, a lot of, a lot of kind of tie-ins to the last race though. Yeah. There were some similarities. Rossi last race was trying for his 200th podium. He is still trying for his 200th podium. Yeah. Crashed out of both races. Um, let's see. Uh, Fabio race... Quartararo won. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's great. That was um, really the most eventful part of the, yeah, it was, the whole thing. Was you just... fell asleep. <laughs> it's okay. It was boring anyways. <laughs> it wasn't a super entertaining race. It, it started out pretty entertaining. With the triple incident there with uh, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Petrucci, Davi, and Zarco. Petrucci hit the brakes. Uh, Zarco anticipated him falling, hit his brakes, lost his front. Yeah. Davi hit him. No, he, and... he slid into Davi. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. Yes, yeah. yeah, he slid into Davi, who was on the outside of the turn. So Ducati takes out Ducati. Which takes out a Ducati, <laughs> yeah. and um, there were a lot of Ducatis in that yeah. involved in that. Yeah, and the the funny part was when it when they talked about the crash, uh, they put the little graphic up and it says riders involved, and it says you know Zarco, yeah. uh, Davi, and Petrucci, and I go, why is Petrucci on there? And then yeah. we see the replay, and it's like, oh, that's why because he. He made Zarco grab a fistful of front brake and just yeah. tuck the front he, into Davi. <laughs> I don't know if he overreacted. I mean, he he overreacted because he crashed. But I mean, I think uh, it looked like Petrucci was going down. He probably grabbed a sufficient amount of front brake during a normal race, but it was yeah. the first lap. Tires yeah. are cold, um, and maybe overestimated his front tire grip or whatever. Yeah. Took out Davi, who uh, was on his knees yeah. <laughs> and like was like, no, it was it was a moment. Yeah, it was it was, it was pretty funny. He he just sat there and stared into the sky <laughs> and shook his hands. <laughs> he I mean, he saw his number one spot in the MotoGP just poof. Yeah. Right and there. Not even by his fault. So. Yeah, not even yeah. by his fault. He fell off the ladder 
uh, for the the live um, championship. Live championship. Yeah. And then Rossi crashed out. And somebody else crashed out. Um, and ended up... He ended up still being in fourth for the yeah. live champ, championship. So he still got a shot. Rossi doesn't. Rossi, yeah, I'd be... No, I, I don't know if Rossi's going to get his 200th podium this this season. He may have yeah. to race for another season to get it. All right, he already but, he is already signed, signed for another season. Yeah, yeah, he did. Which he is signed, crazy. <laughs> Did he sign for more than one? Or was it just I one? doubt it. I think it's just one, but I didn't, oh, okay. I didn't want to look because, you know. Spoilers. I saw an article talking about him. Uh, there was some article. They're like, hey, yeah, he's thinking about starting his own racing team. Which I think everyone everyone saw that coming. Yeah, um, that's not no exactly. Noko Moto's been talking about that for two years at yeah, this point. Yeah, um, yeah, that's not exactly groundbreaking no, at all. No, He's got the school... He can make a team. Yeah. So the cool thing about this race was there were a bunch of things popping up on social media about Quattararo going so deep into this turn that his shoulder was sliding on the little red and white bumps on the Mm -hmm. side. And that is crazy. Yeah. That is insane. Because that is... Easily. You're so far off the bike at that yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. That is, you know, maximum lean angle, 66 degrees, and your entire upper body is just completely off the bike. Yeah. So, what I think is kind of funny is, um, you know how uh, the other Dave got that new leather suit? Yeah. So, his has... Beautiful custom-made suit. Oh, yeah. That yeah. thing is awesome yeah and it's got you know the the regular pads and like metal plates on your shoulders and so i said to him so now we're gonna see you start to get you know some uh little scrapings on there right and he's like no i haven't even got my knee down yet (laughs) yeah so that's that's the future of racing now i think the future do you think we're gonna well two things um, once I did get my knee down once on my ZZR 600, mm-hmm. no, my YZF 600 before I had like safety gear and stuff and I fucking slammed my knee on the ground <laughs> mid corner in jeans. It hurt like hell. Do not suggest it. <laughs> yeah. If you're going to put your knee down or an elbow down, you need the pucks. Yeah. You don't, need pucks. Don't Plus they give you the like an extra inch and a half of knee. Yeah, exactly. To get on the ground. It's, it's like, cheating. Yeah, exactly. I got my knee down with no extra pads. <laughs> yeah. I I think I deserve a medal. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So anyways, uh, I think... The other thing is, the other point I wanted to make yeah. was, do you think we're going to see bikes exceeding that 66 degree maximum lean? I, I think that eventually... The whether it's Michelin or Dunlop, they're gonna slowly start to develop the tires to be able to do that. I'm sure that they're already doing it uh, to try to figure mm-hmm. out if the there's a, a way to physically make the tires in a way that that's even possible. Yeah. Because you know before it, just the evolution of tires, you know before it was 
like 40 degrees and then it just kind of slowly turns into what it is now yeah so i think it's definitely possible that they're just gonna kind of try to be pushing that gap a little bit you know maybe you know really they're probably only going to be able to get one to two degrees more uh every so often and yeah uh it's going to be hard to know but i i think that they're definitely going to be trying to do that 60 degrees is still just so insane oh yeah it's so much yeah. clean um, no that there, there's yeah. a MotoGP video from like their youtube channel where mm-hmm. i think they call it MotoGP lean angle experience or something like that mm-hmm. where they have uh it's a video from i think like 2013 where they have lorenzo's bike at that maximum lean angle and then they have pictures of him kind of just trying to like get on it and his leg is like half hanging off he can't i (laughs) i have done one of those yeah (laughs) yeah yeah i have a picture of me on one of those at an ohio motorcycle show nice uh yeah but yeah yeah at the yamaha at the yamaha booth yeah yes yeah i've i've done that it's a lot harder when you're not because you've got the g-force yeah Yeah. because the the g-force is what presses you and holds you to the seat yeah when and otherwise you're the g-force is all straight down so you're just gonna be kind of like trying to hold on to essentially like a vertical almost bar yeah it's it's, yeah i'm too fat (laughs) but yeah i just lay on the ground (laughs) (laughs) yeah so i think that with Quadraro getting his shoulder down that there might be a possibility of more like shoulder sliders coming in where okay. you know you come up they come up with some kind of puck that'll go there too so now you yeah. just have extra pucks <laughs> yeah more pucks more fun yeah so i'm actually going to include a pic i'm going to include the picture in the blog post that goes along with the episode okay. so check the show notes it'll be cross up podcast slash podcast slash zero zero four um will be the the episode show notes yep all right so are we ready to move on for moto gp i yeah i mean yeah yeah so last week we were talking about well, our two trip weeks, two weeks ago uh, okay the last episode <laughs> we were talking about our trip um down to Coda, or rather specifically back and we were discussing doing a iron butt we'd mentioned it doing an iron butt down to circuit of the americas yeah do you know what an iron butt entails it's a little bit more than a, well i'll let you describe it and i'll i'll fill in the gaps all right so the iron butt is a challenge where you're trying to cover a thousand miles in 24 hours and there's a whole process that you can go through to make sure that it's i guess considered real yep uh where i don't know about how you do that but i'm assuming that there's some people that you talk to and they yep yep you have to um certify your challenge with the iron butt association okay Um, i have I've done an iron butt, but I have not certified it with the Iron Butt Association. I probably could. I still have the tracks. Mm-hmm. I can, you know, prove where I was and all that. Yeah. Um, but that's part of it, is being able to prove 
that you actually did it on your motorcycle, which requires like some pictures along the way, um, possibly even like a notarized statement from someone who uh, did the trip with you, um, and also uh, trackers. So uh, you are required to have some way of proving uh, your route and proving that you followed, you know, that you were on the motorcycle moving, check-in points and all that. Yeah. So to that end, I have, uh, I went on a camping trip recently and I was looking for some gear and I found something for you, Brian. Well, sort of for you. I found my old spot tracker. Okay. So now we are fully equipped to do an iron butt. You're committed. Awesome. So uh, what you can what you use this for is tracking your route, yeah. improving every you know your whole route the the whole way. So we'll each have one of these, so we can certify our trip. Awesome. And we can each um, take pictures and notarize for each other and all okay. that. Do we need to be notaries for that? We would get someone to notarize it. Okay. Yeah, but we would just show up. And we can we can probably witness sign for each other. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I didn't I didn't realize that there was a whole. Yeah, there's a whole thing, whole and there's deal. even like a fee. I think it's like a seventy five dollar administration <laughs> fee. All that. That's so. Funny. Yeah. I can see why a lot of people don't go through the process of. Uh, yeah, I can too. It. I can, and yeah. and some of the people who you do see it, see them do it, they take it so seriously. Yeah. And you're like, yeah. uh, you know, it's not <laughs> that crazy, right? Yeah. And, you know, I mean, there's the 1,500 miles in like 36 hours, something like that. That's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. That is hard. I mean, you, you, you do have time to sleep, yeah. right? So you can break that down into two um, 18, like 18 hour days. But, yeah. Um, Anyway, yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah. All right. Ready. So let's talk about a little bit of the logistics. So, what I was thinking is that the day of is probably going to be kind of challenging, and we'll have to start very early. You know, basically uh, like yeah, six or seven, because when you're doing that many miles, you really don't want to do a lot of it in the dark, mm-hmm. and so you you just kind of have to. You have to start early. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's better to start your day in the dark, from my experience. Yeah. Um, that way, because at night, um, things like highway hypnosis start to set in, and yeah. the lights start going past, and you know, your eyelids start to get heavy. It's a lot easier to start late and continue through the day. I would even say starting, if you can... If you can afford to mess up your sleep schedule enough, mm-hmm. starting at like, you know, midnight. Okay. So I'm like, ride until the morning, keep riding all day. That'll help keep you awake. You'll probably get yeah. there by sundown for okay. sure. Because it takes about 20 hours to do, in my experience, it takes about 20 hours to do 1,100 miles, 1,150 something miles. Um, so. That's kind of, I did have a 45 minute stop where I witnessed an accident. I witnessed a drunk driver. 
Okay. Um, and that also slowed me down because it was weird. I or- We're getting off on a tangent. But <laughs> I organized, uh, basically, a, using hand signals, got two trucks to stop traffic behind me because this person was weaving in the middle of the road. Like, yeah. they were all over the place. Yeah. So it was me, two semi-trucks behind me blocking traffic, and then the person in front of me weaving all over the road. Okay. Eventually, she hit the beginning of a guardrail and flipped her car over, landing oh, on the geez. roof. Yeah, and I was the first one on the scene and, you know, yeah. helping her. Because I, I didn't have anything to break the window or get her out. I also didn't want to touch her because the car had just flipped over. Yeah. And getting her to dial 911 while also being on the phone with 911 via my headset... Yeah. Um, I had been keeping them appraised of what was going on, but we were in such a deserted area, there were no cops nearby to yeah. help pull her over. Um, you know, ambulance came, fire trucks came. They had to cut down a fence on, because they came on a side road, they cut down a fence, and got her out of the truck, and I had to stay there for like 45 minutes. And the group left me behind. Because <laughs> okay. the support truck was behind me. And they were like, all right, here's some water. All right, see you, Derek. You know, <laughs> bye. Yeah. Caught up to them later. But, yeah. Uh, anyway. Anyways. It was a fun, <laughs> it, it was an interesting event. But that added an extra 50 minutes. So you could probably do 1,150 miles, somewhere around there. Assuming, so we're talking about only 1,000. You can probably get it done in 18 hours. Yeah. I think. Yeah, and given that it'll be during the summer... Uh, you have plenty of sunlight to yeah. to really help you get through the day. So really, the the kind of big thing is we're going to need to determine around what time we want to start, which, you know, like you said, if you can afford to mess up your sleep schedule, midnight might be good. Yeah, four, around 4 a.m. Depends on when you can, if you're able to get to sleep early. Yeah. I think more than starting early... Making sure you're well rested, yeah, ahead of time is way more important than what time you leave. It doesn't matter what time you leave, if you're going to be dead tired in six hours because you yeah. didn't get enough sleep. Yeah, exactly. So one of the things that I also want to talk a little bit about is a thousand miles is a lot. Yeah, yeah. I So there's one last thing I want to talk about with preparation. I'm sorry. Okay. Make sure you're fully packed and everything's like just ready to put on the motorcycle. Or even on your motorcycle. Or on your motorcycle. You, you have yeah. like a locked garage and, yeah. you know, things like that. Yeah. At least two days before your trip. I know that sounds excessive. It's something I do for all of my trips, regardless of... Um, Regardless of if I'm planning on doing an iron butt or something like that. Because, you know, as long you also also make sure all your stuff on your motorcycle works. All your electronics are working. GPS routes are already done, loaded, everything. Because, like I said before, making sure you get a well, well rested before the trip is critical. Yeah. Making sure that you're relaxed enough to be able to get that full night's sleep. Yeah, eight, exactly. ten hours of sleep before you go. Yeah, and you're just hopping on the bike, just starting another day, and you're off. Yeah, you don't want the stress of 
oh, do I have everything? Am I missing something? You know, or what if I forget this? What if I forget that? Or, yeah. you know, thinking, you know, oh, I got to make sure that I remember that I have all, all these things. You know, just make sure that it's there so you don't have to worry about it in the morning. Yeah, exactly. Unless it's something like, I guess, I don't know, your toothbrush. If you brush your teeth in the morning, then Buy you know. a fucking second <laughs> toothbrush. It's worth it. Because you don't want to forget anything. You don't want to be worried about forgetting anything. Yeah. So that means buying an extra toothbrush to throw in your travel bag before you leave. Yeah, that's a good point. Fuck it. Yeah. yeah anyway, you're not going to be needing it the next morning anyway. Yeah. 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 All right. So, um, a thousand miles is a lot of miles and is more than I think most people kind of realize on a motorcycle. Yeah. I know exactly how many miles it is. Well, before I did my yes. trip, <laughs> because I I did a lot of trips down to New York City and back mm-hmm. frequently. Yeah, and um, you know, on one occasion I had to do it, just riding down, picking something up, and dropping off another thing, and, and coming back. Um, so I kind of had a good idea of how far that was in terms of mileage. Um, and I'd also done, like, long road trips previously. But you had an interesting experience this weekend. Yeah. Why don't you so, share that? So this is the longest ride I've been on on the VFR so far. I did about 430 miles yesterday. And my ass and my back were killing me yesterday. Yeah. I had a really hard time sitting down in my chair. <laughs> yeah. Bending over to, like, when I was in the shower, bending over to wash my legs. Yeah. That was that was challenging. <laughs> and it kind of got me thinking that while the Airhawk is great, I don't think it's going to cut it for the iron butt. Yeah. So I've been... Doing... I do have something, just one thing I want to lay in. So one thing I discovered... Uh, I was in the hospital for a few weeks, years ago. One thing I discovered is, chair in the shower is amazing. Having a My chair in the shower. My shower is too small for that. <laughs> okay, I'm just throwing that out there that if you haven't, it's like a step below having a beer in the shower. Oh my gosh. I've never... Th- chair and a beer in the shower. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> this is a whole new subreddit. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> have you it helps. When you're really sore, it helps. Have you heard of Shower Orange? No, I don't like oranges. Oh. Well, um, oh, yeah, because you're a weirdo. You don't like fruit. Uh, well, yeah. It, <laughs> whatever. Anyway, it is an ethereal experience, but let's move on. <laughs> oh, all right. Um. So you probably should. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sorry. Um, I I have a theory. That's not a theory. It's working practice. You can only get so sore. It stops after a certain point. It can't get worse. So it, the key is. <laughs> this is bad advice. Don't take breaks. <laughs> <laughs> getting off your bike is one of the worst things you can do after like the third 300th mile like just fill it 
go. I can do a gas stop in less than like 50 seconds. I've done it. We're pulling up to a gas station, have my card in, out, filling up my tank. I can do that on the throughway because the pumps are quicker there. I can be in and out of a gas stop in less than a minute. That's from entering the the drop, like getting off at the rest stop Uh in the gas station and back out in like a minute. That is is key (laughs) because once the most painful part about getting sore, about being sore, is getting sore. Okay. Right? So if you can minimize the painful part of getting sore, that's... And then you just block it out after that. <laughs> okay. You just... Different... You transcend the pain. <laughs> it just stays at that level and you transcend it. If you say so. But all I know is on the last 100 miles, I was moving around a lot just yeah. trying to relieve the tension in my legs and Did you stand my... up at all? A little bit, but it's a lot harder on the VFR than it is on the Yeah, VFR. you're kind of like it feels like you're on all fours. Yeah, it's yeah. weird. Yeah. And it especially with the hump, it kind of tilts my head a little bit more forward. So yeah. I I kind of have to look kind of up almost to look at the road, which is a little bit annoying. But it is what it is. Yeah. The the thing that I was thinking, though, is maybe what I need is to buy some memory foam or something and just kind of cut it to the shape of the seat. That air hawk <laughs> should be good enough. I don't know. It's... Okay. Like, it's good. It's my experience, but yeah. It's good, but it's it's still firm, you know? So, like, it does still... Yeah. It does still kind of because it, it still causes pressure you know yeah even though it does help spread out the pressure better it's not perfect so one of my big tricks for when i was doing long trips on the sport bike is to fill my tank bag to the same tank it, I, you now have my tank bag um is to fill that with like you know your water bottle and other stuff and then put a towel on top of that yeah and then lay down on the tank bag yeah i was i was doing that yeah 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 and that was really great for helping kind of relieve some of the tension in my lower back Mm -hmm. but i i think that a lot of the the trouble is really just that there's only so much you can do (laughs) yeah uh and you know you have to you have to move around a lot, um, but one of the one of the neat tricks that I've learned from riding with you or marching is kind of scooting so that your thigh is on the seat and then letting is... letting your leg kind of dangle a little bit. Oh man, that is yeah. amazing for letting some of that tension out, especially because my pegs are quite high up and are uh, that's very also sport like. It's a very handy technique for when you find yourself on a road trip and like you're noticing that there's a really big bald spot and maybe if there's some like cords starting to show in your tire. <laughs> I've seen okay. people do it. So what you do is you do exactly that. You ride with the bike underneath your thigh, mm-hmm. but your body's upright. 
yeah. so that the bike is leaned over like it's turning. Yeah. And you're counter steering so that you're riding on the edge of the tire. And because that'll have more tread on it when yeah. the center has has uh, cords like cords showing or it's just really, really low. Yeah. Um, and that's a good <laughs> technique if you find yourself on a long trip and you need to get a new tire and you need to get somewhere like the nearest tire is 300 miles away or like 200 miles away and yeah. you don't have 200 miles in your tire you crank it over and drive it at like a 45 degree angle for <laughs> hundreds of miles to get another tire all right yep good to know good, good to, to know. yeah keep that one in the back and yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking of tires, I want to talk about how this is a little bit of a tangent, yeah. but I found out the VFR is an amazing adventure bike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you told me about this. Tell everyone else. Yeah, so on my way back from my ride yesterday, I was down in Pennsylvania, and then as I was coming back up, I was just kind of exploring some different roads, and I pulled over into this little kind of park and I I just put in my phone okay Google you know take me home and it gave me this really weird route where I couldn't just get onto a highway and just slab it home I had to go through all these weird rights and lefts before I could get to a highway and so I start going and then I I get maybe 20 miles and then Google says, turn left onto T104 or something like that. And I look at it and I go, is that what that is? <laughs> and it is all dirt and gravel. <laughs> and I go, you know what? Screw it. I'm going. And I just, I, I turn left and I start going and it is very, very gravelly. <laughs> So the bike immediately is just kind of like sliding around a little bit. And so I I bring the gears down. I get down to third gear. And then Google says, continue on T104 for four miles. <laughs> and so I go, you know what? There's no way I'm turning around on this. So four miles? Uh that's not that bad all right yeah. and i and i just go and the whole time the bike is just you know scrolling around and i'm in third gear doing anywhere between about 17 to 22 miles an hour <laughs> and you know just kicking up tons of dust i feel the rear wheel just spinning basically the whole time <laughs> just sliding around everywhere and the 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 entire time i'm just telling myself just just let the bike find where it wants to go. Don't grab on too tight. Nope. <laughs> the bike knows where it wants to go. <laughs> yep, yep. That's exactly what you do. Yeah. But yeah, so that was scary. I was basically shitting my pants for four miles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I um I was riding with some friends once and they did that, but I was on the Africa twin and they're all on sport bikes and we come to this road and it's like all dirt and they're like, Oh no, it's gravel and dirt and they hit their brakes and I'm just like, Okay, and I downshift twice and just floor it <laughs> and I just take off and they're just like it's the only time I can leave them just yeah. in my dust. Yeah. So I 
I just took the opportunity and just yeah. hammered it. I think I had my dirt tires on at the time too. So. Nice. Yeah. Well, All right, so I'm we'll... glad the VFR is an adept off-roader. Perfect off-roader. Yeah. You cannot well, change my mind. Adventure there is bike. no better, no better adventure off-road touring bike. Nice, nice. <laughs> I'm All glad. Right. So, so that's why you want to trade bikes with me on our way down to Coda. Which is something you've been talking about. It's all we're doing all highway for Coda, anyways. It doesn't mean I want to ride your bike. Wow. Yeah. Oof! Right <laughs> in my feels. <laughs> <laughs> you know you want to ride my bike. You know you want to feel the V Tech. <laughs> I well, I want to feel the V Tech on some corners, but uh, yeah. the V Tech is very very nice. Like, yes. Yeah. It. It's. I've noticed on my ride yesterday because I mm -hmm. spend a lot more time getting kind of used to where the VTEC was. It's a lot buzzier in VTEC. Mm -hmm. You know, because for sure. Yeah, up yeah. until about sixty five hundred, it's super smooth. It's basically butter, but then over that, it's. It's not something that I feel like I spend a lot of time in, just because yeah. it it ends up feeling like the Ninja was at eleven thousand. It's kind of nice. I feel like when I was riding it in the parking lot, it kind of warns you. It's yeah. it's kind yeah. of like, oh, you're you're getting into the danger zone where I can take off now. Yeah. And yeah. and it kind of like the the vibration of the bike. Because people say, oh, you got to be careful with the VTEC because it can kick in and then the bike, you know, climbs on the cam and takes yeah. off harder than than it was before. It's like a second stage. Yeah. Um, and uh, I you know I I had heard that. But when I was riding it, it definitely got more buzzy up in that range. So it's not like it's no warning. Yeah. It's yeah. very much like, hey, you're getting close. You're getting close. Yeah. Here we go. And then... And there's also a little dip in the power that yeah. lets you know as well, which is something that Honda did for this generation because a lot of people had kind of complained before about how it yeah. was very sudden. And once you hit VTEC, then it would kind of just go without really letting you know and so they they adjusted that for this one to kind of make it mm -hmm. like a smoother transition into VTEC yeah and it's it's very good yeah I um I mean I'm a fan of that because my car does the same thing yeah. where you know since it's a turbo but um and just like you know you, you leave a red light and it's not it's, it doesn't accelerate like crazy and then you hit a certain RPM and it's like oh no here we go <laughs> and then you shift and it's like here we go so you know that's fun um, yeah. and then that's kind of one of the reasons I want like a it'd be cool to get a turbocharged bike not a supercharged bike yeah. but a turbo yeah, yeah. Um, um, but just yeah. the unpredictability <laughs> <laughs> I like when I can't tell what my bike is going to do <laughs> yeah but yeah, I mean, that's kind of what I really like about the VFR so far is that it's almost like having two bikes, you know, mm -hmm. you, you can, where, where a lot of people say, oh, I can buy a 600 for my first bike because I'll just short shift it everywhere and it'll be fine. But with the VFR, it's kind of like a more perfect realization of that where yeah. as you get close to VTEC, it sounds it feels and sounds almost exactly like any other bike that would tell you to shift at 6,500. Mm -hmm. Except 
it just keeps going after that. <laughs> so yeah. if you want to, you could just, you know, just crack it open more. You just, and just launch. Go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, that's nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so we've yeah. gotten kind of far off topic. We have, from, a little <laughs> bit. The iron we're, butt. yeah, so we're still on the iron butt, aren't we? Yeah. Um, so the other thing I want to talk about is yeah. I tried the Cramp Buster yesterday. Yeah. And I actually kind of really like it. I get out. I was, I was expecting oh. that you, what you said about how it's kind of, you know, like it Finicky. maybe gets in the way. Yeah, I found that it it didn't really get in the way. Okay. Like, it, it. I think that, from what it felt, it just kind of needs to find a perfect spot on the grip. Mm-hmm. So you know, you just. You kind of have to just figure out where to put it, and then after that, it just kind of fits, you know? And I kind of felt that as I was getting into some twisties that it was actually helping because I could modulate my throttle control a little bit better while still kind of uh, keeping the pressure off of the bars so I'm not, you know, gripping just as an extra, you know, um, just an extra way of knowing that I'm not over over applying any kind of pressure or anything and just yeah. you know to know that you're not you're not over stimulating I'm forgetting what the word is right <laughs> I'm leaving that in <laughs> uh, you want to make sure you're not over stimulating with not the over, twisting yeah, motion over stimulating with your hand yep. and too much twisting and you know too much vibration that kind of thing <laughs> This is worse than last week. <laughs> it's so much worse than last week. <laughs> anyways, right. anyways. So yeah, so it's kind of you're you're not over over applying input to yes. the bars. Is what is what I want to say. You're not. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's kind of nice, and then it also just kind of helps when you're on the highway, and you know because. As I was talking about, the the grips are a little bit old and worn, and therefore a little bit slippery, and so my I feel like I have to grip a little bit harder in order to hold the same throttle. So it just kind of helps on the highway without, you know, having to having to hold the grip quite as tightly to to be able to hold the same speed with yeah. pretty pretty relative precision. So I do have to say. Another really important tool to have, I feel, for um, an iron butt is some sort of throttle lock or cruise control. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't do mine with, with a throttle lock or cruise control, and I, like, destroyed my right shoulder. Um, yeah. It pained me for, like, three weeks afterward. So that's just my take on that. There are a bunch of different options. Cramp Buster might be good enough for you. Um, I'm not sure. But definitely, I will be probably 3D printing two throttle locks for us for our trip. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, either way, having both is not an issue. So, yeah, yeah. You know, there's nothing wrong with having having both. Yeah, for sure. So our next topic is trusting your bike. Yeah. What do you... I, you were the one who suggested the topic, so... 
What do you mean by that? Yeah, so just basically, it's really important to be able to depend on your bike in any situation, right? Whether that's reliability or knowing that when you put it into a corner, it's going to go where you want it to go, that sort of thing. And knowing that when you give it some amount of throttle, that it's going to do what you want to do. Yeah. And I think that this is really important for rider confidence because it is such a huge thing to be confident in not only yourself, but also what you are riding. So anytime you go to pull the brakes, knowing that I'm going to put this much pressure and it's going to give me this much brake. Yeah. So as far as trusting your bike, I kind of want to just, you know, have kind of a, an open conversation, I guess, about, okay. you know, why is it important and what kind of things can you, can, you know, you or me or anyone out there do to make sure that they trust their bike and make sure that you know what your bike is going to do. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I like to do to make sure, I guess just kind of like as a trust building exercise between you and your bike, I guess, or just what I would call practice fundamentals, um, are practicing things like braking from 60 miles an hour mm-hmm. or, or faster, but 60 is a good place to start. So panic braking, yeah. like someone in front of you just landed their brakes you have to stop as quickly as possible. What are you doing in that situation? Yeah. Um, a lot of the times, that safety training, one, make sure that you have that reaction when you actually need it. So when it's time to actually slam on those brakes, um, you're prepared to do that properly without locking up your tires. But also... It gives you an idea of where that limit is and what to expect at that limit, as well as you can kind of build backward from there to kind of understand where your performance is going to be. So I know if I'm going 60 miles an hour, I pull back the brake this much. I know that my, in my case, ABS is going to kick in on my front tire or my rear tire. Um, And I know that it's going to stand my bike up a certain amount. I know that um, my front suspension is going to be fully compressed, yep. and I know how that's going to change my ability to weave or dodge mm-hmm. um, something that happens in front of me. So that's one thing. So um, an example is, you know, uh, I was once riding back from New York City, car in front of me brakes real hard. I slam on my brakes. I check. I immediately I slam my brakes. Look in my mirror. I see the car behind me is not slowing down as fast as I am. Swerve into the left breakdown lane and let off my brake a little bit. Um, but I knew exactly how much brake I was applying, and I knew what I could perform with that much braking applied and when to release it. Yeah. And to be able to just quickly flick my bike into the breakdown lane to the left because that car ended up 
slowing down next to me. Yeah. Um, so, you know, just having that awareness, having that trust in your bike to be able to make uh, a maneuver like that, where I made the maneuvers subconsciously, and that allowed me to be conscious of my surroundings. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that kind of brings up uh, the the saying from Nick Einach that when you're panic braking, you want to load the tire before you work the tire. Yeah. And anytime you just grab a fistful of front brake, you're going to wash out the front tire. Yeah. You're, you're going to lock it up, and it's it's going to not do it what you want it to do. So you have to... Even even with ABS, you're not going to lock up your tire with ABS. Yeah. But you're not going to be braking as hard. Exactly. You're exchanging that constant braking force for a pulsating braking force yeah. that will not give you smooth handling. Yeah. And it also won't give you as much braking anyways. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It'll extend yeah. your braking distance. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And uh, Fortnite did a great video on that showing the difference because motorcycle suspension is a little bit more uh, dynamic yeah dynamic yeah. than a car suspension where when you when you start to press the brakes it compresses your forks first and that exchange of weight towards the front is what gives you that grip on the front so that you can pull more brake yeah which is really, really important because friction is based on normal force and a coefficient of friction. Yeah. And so increasing that force onto the front tire is what gives you more traction. Otherwise, you just have no grip there and it's just yeah. going to, you're, you're going to lock so it up and just going to slide. Increasing your braking force over time instead of just applying, instantly applying the amount, like, instantly applying a lot of braking force exactly is you can you can end up applying more braking force over a longer period of time because you're loading the front tire with your suspension compressing and the weight momentum coming forward and down exactly. onto the front tire you're transferring that momentum down instead of just forward yeah so yeah and so it's exactly what they teach you in the MSF course is progressive front braking from light to more pressure on the front and then from heavy to lighter pr pressure on the rear brake because as your weight transfers forward you lose grip on the back so you want to loosen lighten up the grip or lighten up the braking on your rear tire yeah all right so then other parts of trusting your bike are uh putting it in corners yeah so when when you go to put it in a corner and you you know let's say this might be different for different people but you know let's say you look where you want to go you scoot your butt off a little bit you turn your shoulder look toward look towards your mirror uh extend your chin a little bit and then you start to press on on whichever handlebar how do you know that your bike is going to go where you want it, where you want it to go? Well, obviously some of that comes from just yeah. practice, but 
one important thing is from uh, from my experience so far is that it's a little bit hard on new tires. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, definitely you don't want to be, you don't want to take out your new tires and just go straight for a full lean into a corner. That's a recipe for disaster. Um, the, the tires have, I'm not... I'm not sure exactly what it is. I think the the volatiles on the outer edge of the tire, on that the the outermost piece of rubber, because I've put tires into sto- like storage and put them back on and had the same effect. The volatiles in the tire start to evaporate over time and they leave kind of a harder outer shell. So it's important that you scrub in a tire, um, and you can't just do it with like sandpaper. You have to do it out on the road. Um, and so that's getting the tire up to temperature and leaning progressively more and more every time you go through a corner. Um, yeah, so, but, but how do you know where that edge of your grip is and where the edge of the tire is? Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I haven't put much thought into that I just kind of know and I think I think I developed that kind of um, awareness for where the maximum lean is through some lower speed maneuvering Mm. that's um, a big fan of going back to things like the MSF course and doing things like figure eights and um, like uh, kind of treating them I don't know if you've ever seen there's a Yonkers police academy video where they're taking these harleys and throwing them around through a tight course Mm -hmm. and doing that kind of practice um i feel that that benefits me in knowing where the limits of my bike are yeah um in terms of like flickability and leaning and like keeping it over on the edge balance that kind of stuff yeah yeah and I mean, really what I kind of want to get at is when you start to feel the limits of grip, how do you know exactly what the limit feels like? And then how do you know to back off a little bit? That's where I think riding in the dirt comes in really handy for me. Yeah. Um, knowing that feeling of having the rear tire start to slip and what that feels like on my hips and being able to translate that into not just a, a oh shit panic moment where my rear tire my front tire maybe doesn't do exactly what it has been doing you know it takes that step out or a little bit of a slide um and being able to take that and say oh all right i'm losing a little bit of grip in the rear i'll back off the throttle slightly or um, whatever, uh, yeah. stand up the bike a little bit. Take a wider line so I can reduce my speed, lean back in. Yeah. As someone who only has really street experience, what I found is that really the only time that I feel the, the feeling of losing grip is either when I start to hit the chicken strip where the tire hasn't really been scrubbed in yet, um, 
or when the tires are you know fresh brand new tires mm-hmm. then it's obviously you know a little bit challenging to describe exactly what that feels like to someone who hasn't felt it before but it's almost like when you lean the bike over it's unsure of where it wants to go yeah and your your front tire is kind of you know oh I'm pointed in this direction and then your rear tire is kind of I don't know if I like where I am right now and then it might step out mm-hmm. you know even by the tiniest fractions of a millimeter and you're going to feel it yeah so it's it's a little bit challenging to describe to someone but you know the big thing is knowing what that feels like and being able to handle it without panicking yeah not panicking is is key um and and i don't mean like freaking out in general I don't, I don't want people to get the wrong idea of what I mean by panicking. I mean the minor form of panicking, where you tighten up on the bike and yeah. you become rock solid. Because that's exactly what your bike doesn't want. You need to stay loose at all times, especially when that kind of stuff happens. I've, you know, rear steps out of my bike, I may, my butt may come completely off the seat. I've had that happen before, where the the rear stepped out to the point where it's come off the seat by about an inch and now I'm kind of like supporting myself with my legs and you know having to readjust my body and slowly let myself back down on the seat to not upset the center of gravity of the bike maybe that includes standing the bike back up usually it doesn't because I'm usually like leaned over pretty far already when that kind of stuff happens um so you know, maybe maybe more my thigh comes off the seat rather than my butt. But yeah, you yeah. know, um, that's definitely something that that happens. And um, you have to be sure of also your line a little bit. Yeah. Because if if that happens, you have to kind of be sure that it wasn't gravel, yeah. right? If if that because I if that happens to me generally because I'm pretty good at. I've never just hit a random patch of gravel mm-hmm. um, that I haven't noticed. Um, the if if you get that feeling and your brain immediately goes to, oh well, I'm going down. I feel like you've pro- you've you've lost. Yeah, you've already the, lost. You've already lost. Yeah, yeah. Um, you have to have that confidence yeah to just be like huh yeah huh. it just kind of happened yeah. yeah 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 um because otherwise your reaction is to grab and yeah you, with the motorcycle you never want to just grab yeah you, you always want to your your lower body holds on but your upper body is always loose yeah. very very free-flowing kind of just you know gentle everything yeah and this kind of brings us back to what I was talking about when I was on gravel is your bike knows where it wants to go mm-hmm. and you will guide the bike to where you want it to go and the bike will probably listen to you. Yeah. If the bike doesn't listen to you, then you're probably doing something wrong <laughs> <laughs> yeah. or you just kind of need to 
let the bike do what the bike needs to do sometimes. Yeah. Definitely for, like, when I'm riding off-road, definitely. I can, I, can, I can tell my bike what third of the road I would like to be in. Yeah. Um, especially off-road. It goes... On the road is the same. I, I can tell the bike what six-inch area I'd like the bike to be in. Exactly. But it's going to wander around a little bit. Yeah. Um, or the six-inch area I'd like the tire tracks to be in. Um, which, if you think about it, on a road, tires already, like, you know, four inches wide. You know, contact patch is about an inch and a half wide on my bike. So, a six-inch area is pretty accurate. Yeah. On dirt and, you know, I can basically say, I'd like to be in this third of the road. And there's, you know, ruts and stuff like that. Yeah. I may get over into another part, but, you know, I generally know what third I want to be in. And then mud is just like, I'd like to be in this 10 foot. (laughs) Somewhere in this 10 foot area, I would like to stay because there are like trees on either side. And that's when it gets, when it gets hairy. But um, yeah, so just knowing kind of, just allowing the bike to do its own kind of micro movements, you know, like. Yeah. It allow it to do be where it needs to be, yeah. And trust that you're just giving it. I'm, I mean, there's no artificial intelligence or anything like that, but trust that you're giving it the correct like macro, broad picture. You know, I yeah. like to be in this area of my lane. Yeah, as long yeah. as you know how to choose where you want to be correctly. And then you guide the bike towards there. It will probably do that. Um, uh, kind of a another big thing is how to put your how to position your legs in a corner. So mm-hmm. this that's kind of a big thing for making sure that the bike goes where you want it to go. Is you know when you when you start on your line. You don't have to put your butt off the seat. You don't have huh. to be Mark Marquez. Really, you don't have to move your butt at all. And you don't have to move yeah. your knees either. Yeah. Um, the majority of your weight is in your upper body and chest. Uh, so, really, the I'm, I'm going to kind of counter-argument you here. The main thing is to make sure you know what you're doing with your upper body. Yeah. And that is when you're like, pushing it and you need to lean to a corner the easiest thing to tell people is kiss the mirror yeah so that's putting your face right up in that mirror area on the side that you're leaning yeah most bikes it's somewhere over the hand grip just kind of like think about putting your chin over your wrist sort of yeah um not so much the legs putting getting your your half your butt off and Maybe moving your knee out a little bit will help make room for you to lean forward and and leave room for and make it easier to move your body. At least for me, since I have a gut, uh, you know, it helps. <laughs> um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's kind of my... That's my one big tip for people who want to get faster is to kiss the mirror. Yeah. Yeah, and... This is, I guess, a little bit more of an advanced technique, but Mm -hmm. what I've been finding works really well is 
kind of thinking of just thinking weight the outside peg mm-hmm. where you know the the way that any kind of professional would describe it is that you're locking the leg to the gas tank through the corner no but i find that kind of it, it might actually almost be overthinking it to do it like that yeah and the the easiest way to start is just weight the outside peg you know just essentially all it is is you know put a little bit more of your body weight and kind of it's it's like pressing onto that outside peg and then it i i've been finding that it really helps to stabilize the bike and it makes it so that the the line that i wanted to be on is way cleaner way smoother and it just feels a lot better yeah so i i guess it is a little bit more like later uh you know kissing the mirrors first uh all your like stuff comes later yeah yeah but yeah for sure um especially when you start moving your your body so i think that kind of covers it for trusting your bike and being comfortable with your bike um if you want to share how you get comfortable with your bike or how you practice your emergency maneuvers or whatever it is that helps you get more in tune with your motorcycle let us know uh there's a contact form right on the homepage of our website that's crossedupodcast.com and you can use that to shoot us an email uh we'll get back to you or reply to you in the podcast and um yeah i hope you enjoyed the show yeah thanks for listening we'll see you in two weeks two weeks hey thanks for listening to crossed up podcasts new episodes come out every two weeks and if you're interested in finding our back catalog we can be found on apple podcasts spotify and most of the places podcasts can be found you can also find our catalog at crossedupodcast.com